Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Morning. So good to see all of you here today. Appreciate you coming out. And uh, we've got a great service for you already. You've experienced some wonderful music. We've got a good sermon and, and uh, more music. I really, really appreciate you being here. We're in a series called uh, Songs of the Summer, and we're looking at the Bible songbook, the book of Psalms, smack dab in the middle of your Bible, biggest book in the Bible, 150 Psalms. And the book of Psalms speaks to our hearts in many ways. It speaks in many moods. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, back in the 1500s, called the book of Psalms God's good word to God's faithful people. And God has a good word for you through the book of Psalms. Uh, John Calvin, another reformer, called the book of Psalms an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. There is no affection of man that is not seen here as in a looking glass. And so the Psalms are a reflection of our affections, of our emotions, and our deepest feelings. Uh, St. Augustine said, if a psalm prays, you pray. If a psalm laments, you lament. If it exalts, you rejoice. If it hopes, you hope. If it fears, you fear. Everything written here is a mirror for us. And so the psalms are a mirror where you can see yourself as you are, and you can also see yourself as the person that God desires for you to become. Billy Graham said, the Psalms teach us how to get along with God, and the Proverbs teach us how to get along with people. So the Psalms tell you how to live in a place of genuine, holy happiness. How to live a blessed life. Because God wants to give you a blessed life, not a problem-free life. That won't happen until we get to heaven. But here and now, God wants you to live a blessed life. And the Psalms is the guide to a blessed life. And so today, I want to look at the very first psalm. It's aptly titled Psalm 1. <laughs> and there are six verses. We're just going to read uh, right through it. Uh, number 1, uh, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous." For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So Psalm 1 tells us that God's blessing comes from what you choose not to do, and it also comes from what you choose to delight in. So first, blessing comes from what you choose not to do. In verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. If you're going to enjoy God's blessing on your life, there are choices 
that you have to make. There are things you must choose not to do. There are paths you must choose not to go down. There are people you must choose to avoid. The blessing that you receive depends on who you let into your life. Who are your best friends? Whose advice and counsel do you listen to? Who do you choose to be the influencers in your life? Are you going to walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, scoffers, and scorners? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5.11, he says, But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. And it's not that we don't try to reach out and minister to lost people. You expect lost people to act like lost people because they are lost. They're lost. They don't even know how to do the right thing. You can't expect them to know how to behave. But if someone claims to be a brother or sister in Christ and acts like a lost person, that's a person to avoid. You can't let people who are comfortable with sin become a primary influence in your life. Do not let the slow-moving tentacles of evil wrap themselves around you. It happens so silently, so subtly, you hardly realize it's taken place. It's like an enormous oak uh, that, that looks healthy and strong on the outside until it falls. And then you see the rot and decay that has been happening on the inside for years. Sin sneaks into your life by degrees. One rationalization leads to another until a life that was strong, stable, reliable collapses and falls apart. The eroding decay of compromise with sin brings ultimate collapse. And that's a danger that we all face as believers. We have a choice. We have a choice between right and wrong, good and evil. And those choices have consequences. They determine whether we will be blessed or unblessed. Now, what if you, as a believer, have made some bad choices? What if you realize, maybe even as a result of this message, what if you realize, whoa, I've been walking in step with the wicked. What do you do? You turn around. You repent. The door of repentance is always open. God offers you the option to turn around and come back to Him. What if you find yourself standing in the way that sinners take? Stop standing. Start moving. The Bible tells us over and over when we encounter sin to run, flee, get out of there. Move it, move it, move it. What if you realize that you have been sitting in the company of mockers? Maybe in the school cafeteria or college coffee shop or the break room at work. People sitting around mocking God and scoffing and spouting atheistic filth, oftentimes with great humor. What if you realize that you've been seated in the company of God mockers? You get up, you get up, and you get out of there because where we walk, where we stand, where we sit determines the outcome. 
And God offers you a way out. God offers you a way back home. You don't have to live like that. You can make a better choice with better results. And Psalm 1 describes the person who chooses to live a righteous life. The person who consciously resists the inroads of compromise. And that person is blessed. Blessed. But the English word blessed isn't quite grand enough to capture the degree of happiness referred to here. It's bigger than that. Uh, in, in the Hebrew word, uh, it's actually in the plural. And it means happiness many times over. The, the Amplified Bible. Are you familiar with the Amplified Bible? Uh, it, it's probably on your Bible app. I, I love the Amplified Bible uh, for Bible study because it gives you an expanded translation. It, it's an amplified translation. Uh, the old seminary joke is that when you read from the Amplified Bible, you have to read really loud because it's amplified. Okay? <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I was a little nervous about that one. <clears throat> But the Amplified Bible gives you, it gives you more than one English word uh, for a word in the Hebrew or Greek. It gives you a broader, more detailed, more expansive word picture of the text. Uh, most English translations of Psalm 1 start out simply, blessed is the one. But the Amplified says, blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the one. Blessed, fortunate, prosperous, favored by God. Blessed is a rich word that deserves amplification. And what causes the abundance of happiness, this happiness many times over, is the uncompromising purity of a righteous walk with God. And David warns us of, of the uh, spiritual erosion that can take place. Notice that we, we go from walking to standing, you stop, to sitting. It's a regressive process of deterioration that happens in stages. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens over time, one choice at a time. To walk suggests passing by or even a casual stroll along the boulevard. And the warning here is that you don't get drawn into the path of the wicked. You don't even go down their street. You don't walk in step with the wicked. You don't march to their cadence. Now, it's not uncommon for believers to flirt with the wicked life. But David warns against that. And he says, we will be abundantly more happy if we steer clear of anything that causes spiritual erosion. Don't even go there. Stand has the idea of stopping, remaining. In the Hebrew, it even carries the idea of becoming the servant of. And you see the downward deterioration here. A person casually walking by where they shouldn't be walking slows down until they're standing. And they remain in sin. They reside in sin and eventually become a servant of sin. How many times? How many times have you walked where you shouldn't have walked, stood where you shouldn't have stood, told yourself, I'm just going to do this this one time, just once? and then found yourself residing there as a servant of sin. Sit suggests a permanent settling down. It's an abiding. It's a chronic condition of hanging out with the blasphemous crowd. We have taken a seat at the table of the scoffing mocker. 
And David says we will be happy many times over if we maintain a pure walk, free from the slightest flirtation with evil. But if we begin to walk in the way of the wicked, it is easy to drift off course into the habitation of the scornful. There are three illustrations from the Bible that come to mind, and they may have come to David's mind when he wrote this psalm, because all of them lived before David, and their stories are in God's Word. He would have been familiar with them. Two of them flirted with evil, and it led to their downfall. And the third one refused to be drawn into evil and led a remarkable life of righteousness. And the first two are Lot and Samson. Both Lot and Samson made conscious decisions to wander off the path. They flirted with evil, they got caught, and it destroyed them. Samson's way of life is described in Proverbs 5, verses 20 through 23. It says, For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the eyes of a man are before the eyes, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Samson was physically one of the strongest men who ever lived. Spiritually, not so much. And Samson didn't guard his heart from evil, and he came to an ugly, disastrous end. He lost his strength. He was taken prisoner by his enemies. He, he, they gouged his eyes out, and then he died a tragic death. I mean, so much lost potential. Lot was Abraham's nephew, and Lot's choice is described in Genesis 13. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they Abram and Lot separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. So Lot walked in step with the wicked, took his stand among sinners. Genesis 19.11 says that in Sodom, Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. So Lot walked, Lot stood, Lot took his seat with the scornful, and it cost him everything. Everything Lot had was destroyed when God destroyed Sodom. Lot escaped with the clothes on his back, and they smelled like sulfur. He lost everything. He lost his wife. Joseph was different. Joseph was different. He refused to let the daily grind of compromise take its toll on him. Even as he served as a slave in Potiphar's house, even as Potiphar's wife tempted and tested him daily with her alluring sexual advances, Joseph stood firm. He didn't stand for evil. He stood for good. And when Joseph was tempted, he ran from evil. He didn't walk, stand, and sit in it. He didn't flirt with evil or see how close he could get to it. He ran from it. When sexual sins are mentioned in the New Testament, the instruction is for us to flee, flee. That's what Joseph did. And the Bible says repeatedly throughout Joseph's life that the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. 
So Psalm 1 tells us that we will be far happier, far more blessed if we run from temptation, sin, and evil, if we seek to maintain an unblemished moral purity. A blessing comes from what you choose not to do. But blessing also comes from what you choose to delight in. Uh, Verse 2, But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. And the verse begins with a but. It's a word of contrast. You, You choose a different option, a different path, a different way of life. You've got the blessed and the unblessed, and, and, and they're different. The, the message translation puts it this way. It says you don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along dead-end road. You don't go to Smart Mouth College. I love that line. <laughs> Instead, you thrill to God's Word. You chew on Scripture day and night. And so in, in contrast to compromise and the corrosive effects of sin, the godly believer focuses their attention on God's word. And David specifically mentions meditating on the law of the Lord because the law was pretty much all the Bible David had to meditate on. Unlike us, he didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have the minor prophets. They came later. He didn't have the historical books. He was living those. He didn't have the Psalms. He was writing those. Proverbs, his son wrote Proverbs. So all David's got is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. David is meditating day and night on the part of the Bible that we tend to ignore. Psalm 119 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The godly person delights, is thrilled by the law of the Lord. The word's not an an irksome burden or an interruption in their day. Day and night, they chew on it. They feast on it. You know, the concept of meditating on God's word comes up a lot in the Psalms, and, and we can have wrong ideas about meditating due to the influence of Eastern religions. We, we tend to think of meditating as sitting quietly with your hands out and your brain empty. But that's not biblical meditation. In fact, biblical meditation doesn't carry the idea of silence. Uh, certainly not from the Psalms. I mean, Psalms is a noisy book. I mean, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Beat that drum. Clang that cymbal. I mean, it's a noisy book. The biblical idea of meditation is to really focus in on the meaning of the words. And it carries with it an undertone of discussion. The Hebrew term for meditation means to moan, growl, utter, muse, mutter, devise, plot, and speak. And so if you talk or mutter or mumble to yourself while you're reading the Bible, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, because it it means you are uh, interacting with the text. You're processing what you read. You know, it helps if you speak the truth out loud, if you speak the truth to yourself. And meditation is considering the truth from every angle. It's an interaction with the biblical text. It's a searching, a yearning for truth. It's a wrestling with the Word of God. 
and you consider how you can act on that truth in your life. And then when, if, you act on what you read, you will live the blessed life that God wants you to live. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Say that phrase with me. Do what it says. So verse 1 gives us a promise of happiness many times over. Verse 2 provides the means of experiencing that happiness. And now verse 3 describes what this blessed happiness looks like. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You know, we tend to take trees for granted where we live. Because, you know, our yards, neighborhoods, parks, fields are full of trees. And we enjoy a wide variety of trees, sizes, types. Uh, Do you have one of those cottonwood trees in your yard this year? Oh, man, don't you hate those things? I mean, you know, they put out those those little uh, floaty cotton seeds and then they just plug up your air conditioner and they form into clumps. on It looks like you ran over an old mattress with your mower. I mean, it's just... uh, but, but there, aren't, there aren't a lot of trees in Israel, and especially out in the wilderness where David spent much of his time. And so when, when we hear the word wilderness, uh, this is what we think of. We think of dense, lush, old-growth forest. This is what the term wilderness meant to David. It's barren desert and rocks with an occasional stream running through a wadi with some trees growing there where the water is. And so you can see the value that a tree planted by a stream of water would have for David. And a tree is the only sign of life in that whole environment. A tree planted by a stream is a picture of blessedness. And for David, a tree represented four characteristics of a godly life. It's planted. Fortified, stable, rooted, solid, strong. It's fruitful. It's growing, maturing, producing a harvest. It's unwithered, even in times of drought and difficulty. It's prosperous. It's fulfilling the goals that God has for our life. And so it's not the blessing of perfect circumstances. That's only going to come in heaven. This is a blessing that comes in spite of our circumstances, in spite of imperfect conditions, in spite of the imperfections of our own heart. This is a blessing that comes to us. And it comes from what we choose not to do. We don't walk in step with the wicked. We don't stand in the way that sinners take. We don't sit in the company of mockers. And it's a blessing that comes from what we choose to do. We delight in the law of the Lord. We meditate on his law day and night. We walk according to his law. God wants us to live a life of happiness that flows out of holiness. You know, the blessing that God has for you is not a dry, emotional blessing. It comes with true joy in your life. Holiness is not drudgery. It's not dry. It's not boring. It's not painful. Holiness is a delight. And God wants to give you the delight of holiness. Psalm 1 encourages us to maintain a pure, uncompromising walk. Delight yourself in his word, and you'll grow into a stable, 
reliable spiritual tree. There's no shortcut for spiritual growth. Like physical growth, it occurs on a daily basis, depending on the food and the proper surroundings. And so with the right kind of spiritual diet, the right kind of spiritual climate, you can experience holy happiness many times over. Now David intensifies the contrast here between the the blessed and the unblessed in verse 4. And verse 4 starts out with an emphatic negative assertion. He says, not so the wicked. And he's referring to the preceding descriptions of the righteous, godly believer. Happy many times over, not so the wicked. Delights and meditates on God's word, not so the wicked. Stable and unwithered like a tree, not so the wicked. Fruitful and prosperous, not so the wicked. None of the benefits of the blessed life are enjoyed by the ungodly. Instead, the psalmist uses a single word to illustrate the life of the ungodly, and that word is chaff. Chaff. If you've ever harvested wheat, if you've ever baled straw, you understand the word chaff. Chaff is the outer part of a grain seed. It's the husk that gets separated out at harvest time. It's the husk, the stalk, the fragments that blow around in the air, that swirl around on the ground, that collecting the sweat on the back of your neck. It makes me itch just to think about it. Chaff is the refuse and impurities blown away in the winnowing process. And the Hebrew here describes chaff as being driven away by the wind. And it means to drive asunder, disseminate, diffuse, strike, or beat. This is a harsh, violent, buffeting destruction. It calls to mind the words uh, from Jesus in Matthew 7. It says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And just as the winds and rain blew and beat that house, causing it to fall because of an unstable foundation, so it will be with the ungodly. Which begs the question, are you building your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Or are you trying to construct order out of your inner chaos by the work of your own hands? Everything you produce in your own strength falls under the category of chaff. And chaff is utterly worthless. Chaff gets burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. Chaff stands in stark contrast to the stable, fruitful tree in verse 3. And then in verse 5, David gives us a warning. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And the word stand here in verse 5 connects back to stand in verse 1. If you stand in the way of sinners in verse 1, then you won't be able to stand in the judgment of verse 5. If you have never come to Jesus Christ and asked for forgiveness of your sins and thereby been granted the righteousness of Christ, then in God's eyes you have no place in the assembly of the righteous. It is only through our faith in the work of Jesus Christ 
that we can have right standing with God. I cannot stress that enough. You come to God through your faith in Jesus Christ. And I beg you, please hear that, understand it, take it to heart. Come to Christ and ask His forgiveness. Let Him cleanse you of your sin and give you a right standing before God. Two songs we sang before the sermon. Grace washing over you. Grace providing to you what Jesus Christ did that you can't do for yourself. Because there's a contrast in, in, in the destiny between the godly and the ungodly, between the righteous and the wicked, between the blessed and the unblessed. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And notice, it's the Lord who does the judging. He alone, not humankind, not you or me, the Lord alone is the judge. And as the judge, he takes a special interest in the righteous because he is bound to the righteous with a special love. And he will not allow for mingling of the righteous and the unrighteous. They have, they have different destinies. One prospers, one perishes. And Psalm 1 makes it clear that there is not the slightest similarity between the spiritually accelerating life of the blessed and the slowly eroding life of the unblessed. I mean, look, look at these, these contrasts between the two. Blessed, happiness many times over. Unblessed, not so. Blessed, uncompromised purity. Unblessed, driven by the wind. Blessed has a guide, the Word of God. Unblessed, no guide mentioned. Blessed like a tree. Unblessed like chaff. Blessed stands righteous before God. Unblessed, unable to stand before God. Blessed, a special object of God's care. Unblessed, no place in the assembly. Blessed, safe, secure, prosperous. Unblessed, perishes. Which one do you want to be? Which one do you want to be? You want to be a fruit-bearing tree or wind-driven chaff? You can prosper or you can perish. The choice is yours. Choose wisely. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the encouragement that it gives us to live a holy life and to find that blessing that comes from you. If you're here today and maybe you realize that, that you're not living that blessed life, that you've walked in the way of the wicked and you've strayed from the path, God offers you the opportunity in this moment to repent and to come home and to come back to him. He gives you the opportunity through his grace to find the righteousness of Jesus Christ and to walk in that righteousness day by day, moment by moment, choice by choice. And so maybe this is your moment to say to God, God, I want to come back home. I want to be forgiven of my sins, and I want to walk in your way. God, we thank you for the hope that you give us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.